for being here. This is just a fabulous, beautiful, sunny day where I live. I've been enjoying preparing for this podcast today. I had really hoped that I was going to be able to talk both about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles today. But with as much information as I've compiled on Yom Kippur for this year, I think we're just going to stick with that one for right now, which is going to prepare you properly um, for the upcoming feast day and which I'm, I'm really excited to do. Um, and I want to, uh, make sure that you know when it's coming. So Yom Kippur is coming up. It is starting the evening of the 24th to the 20 through the day of the 25th till evening. So, um, and I'm going to double check that I have that right because I just, saw someone post the wrong date. Yeah, evening of some Sunday, September 24th through the evening of Monday, September 25th. Guys, this is a really important feast day of the Lord. And because I think that this is one of those ones, it has really deep, important implications, meaning, and um, it's a day where there's there's a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of beliefs around this in Judaism in in the Jewish community that I'm not totally sure about. Um, and we we might get into some of that. We might talk about that. But there are so many Bible verses that discuss this day of atonement, this day. And uh, it is commanded for us to observe this day and to afflict ourselves on this day. And we're going to find out in scripture why fasting gets attached to this day. But I want you to mark your calendars for this upcoming Sunday evening through Monday evening. Now, this is a Sabbath day of rest. It is very important that we don't work on this day and that we, I do fast actually as part of the afflicting yourself. Um, I know that there are ministries out there that say you don't have to fast, that afflicting yourself is really about humility and humbling. But because the fast, this idea of a day that is a fast comes up so much throughout scripture, we know that our New Testament brethren likely fasted on this day. I'm just doing what they decided to do. And so it's one way to afflict yourself. Um, Let's go to scripture. So for those of you that are new to my podcast and who are like, what is she talking about? <laughs> um, I want I want to just give you a, a very short, brief um, foundation for this. So we find in scripture throughout the entirety of scripture, particular days that God commands us to observe, to understand, to memorialize, and to celebrate. And these feast days are found in their fullness. All seven of them are found in Leviticus 23. Now, you might be somebody who's going to say, but wait a second, we don't have to do that stuff anymore. Um, We've been freed from the laws, okay? I just want to question, you know, throw a question out. What law were you freed from? Because the Bible consistently tells us that Yeshua freed us from the law of sin and death, that he freed us from death, that he overcame death, that he overcame sin, that he overcame the curses that came along with sin, It never, never says that we have been freed from God's own law. And just a reminder for those of you who haven't been through this with me in a while, 
there is this great logic that gets posed by 119 Ministries. I think it's really important logic that states, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're told that in John. We know that Yeshua embodies his own laws, right? The laws he gave from the beginning, the laws that David calls perfect and eternal, the laws of God, which still stand if heaven and earth are standing according to Yeshua's own teaching. So heaven and earth still give testimony and witness that the laws of God still stand. And not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass until heaven and earth pass away. This is according to our Messiah. He's the one that stated this. If he is the full embodiment of the law, tell me about this logic. Does it make sense that he came and died to rid us of himself? I'm going to ask that again. Yeshua, if he's the full embodiment of the law, that means our Messiah is the law. That means if you believe he came to get rid of his own law, he came and died to get rid of himself. That is the reality of the logic that most of us, you know, myself included, we grew up under this faulty logic that somehow God nailed his own laws to the cross. This is never stated in scripture. Misinterpretations of scripture have stated this. I have lots of teachings on this. If this question, this logic practice um, even made you question for one one second that maybe you are misinterpreting scripture when it comes to God's laws and his commands, please go back and find some of my teachings on this. Go look at 119 Ministries. They have wonderful teachings on this for beginner believers or believers who are just starting to understand that maybe Christian mainstream Christianity isn't teaching them the fullness of God's word. Um, and maybe they have questions like, hey, how do we have Good Friday? But Jesus was in the tomb three days and three nights. Good Friday means if he died on a Friday, Good Friday only gets us a day and a half to Sunday morning, right? But the Bible says he was in the tomb three days and three nights. So what's going on there? If you have questions like that, that are logical questions about the word of God and what you've been taught in modern day Christianity, um, let me point you to my book. I, I wrote a book that helps to kind of straighten out some of these issues it's called Jesus Was Not a Modern Day Christian so on and so forth, my friends. But today I want to talk to you about two holidays coming up that God did command us to do for all of our generations, no matter what location we're in. And I'm going to prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. Stick with me through this podcast, and I'm going to show you scripture after scripture after scripture that confirms that this upcoming holiday, Yom Kippur, is commanded of God, is important, and is going to teach you about prophecy and what is going to come. And it is important that we understand this so we understand the prophetic meaning of Yeshua's second return and what he's going to do when he returns. We're going to start, we're going to go through so much scripture. You're going to just be hammered by scripture by the end of this podcast. So get buckled up. You might want to pull out your Bible. You might want to write some of this down. Um, and if not, you might want to come back to it later. So because this is going to be a lot of scripture. So a lot of information here, just giving you that warning. We're going to go to Leviticus 16, starting in verse 16. We're going to read a lot of Bible. We do this. We always read a lot of scripture, guys. So here we go. Leviticus 16, starting in verse 16. The Lord spoke to Moses. Sorry, this is not starting in verse 16. This is starting in verse 1. Here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. 
The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in the front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Now, hold on. We're going to stop here. I just want you to understand how the temple was set up. Remember, Aaron was the high priest. He was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is the very center of of this temple structure. There was an outer court. There was an inner court. And then there's the Holy of Holies. And then there's the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Other people could be in the outer court, certainly. And people could go go into these um, the center court, so to speak, but only the high priest could go into the holy of holies, and only at particular time of the year. Okay, let's keep going here. Verse three. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Okay, I'm going to stop here. Notice Aaron is putting on clean garments after cleansing himself. He's preparing his garments. We're going to come back to this concept later. Verse 6, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. I'm going to stop here. A couple things to take note of. Okay, he's casting lots. He casts lots for two goats. One lot, one goat is going to be sacrificed. It's going to be the sacrifice that goes on the altar. The other goat, he's going to lay hands on the goat and he's going to put the sin of the people upon it. And then the goat goes out into the wilderness to basically be lost. Okay, it's it's going out um, it, not to be found again. This has really important scriptural implications later when we see that God says, I will throw your sins as far as east is from the west. You know, that Yeshua's sacrifice would allow for our sins to be carried off to a place where they would not be found again. Okay, this is really fascinating. Um, and then, you know, he is going to um, bring the burning coals from the altar, um, put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense is going to it's going to conceal the atonement cover. So we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant, the cover that's above, because inside the Ark of the Covenant are the law, 
the, the laws of Moses, the covenant law. Okay. So inside that ark, Moses was told to put the law. We'll go to that verse later. But um, so the the blood is being sprinkled on the front of this Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, the, the incense is going to cover this. All right. He shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Full stop there just for a second. Um, the sacrifice that Aaron makes, he makes a couple of sacrifices. One is for himself and for his family. At this time, guys, we're not talking about a sacrifice that was pers- for personal sin. That doesn't exist. It was only for the sin of the priests, okay, the priesthood and their family. The second sacrifice that's being discussed here is a national sacrifice. It was on behalf of all the people as a whole. This idea of communal sacrifice, communal repentance, this is really big throughout scripture. Not a very big concept in American ideology because we have a Greek Roman mindset. We're not very communal in our thinking. We don't think of things like national sin and national repentance. We think on a very personal level, but the Bible talks about two. It talks about personal repentance and national repentance, personal sin and national sin. Community is very important in scripture, and there's something about responsibility for your community that happens time and time again in scripture. So just want you to kind of see that here. Verse 18, then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. I don't, so this is where we kind of get this concept that um, not all the sacrifices were about sin. Okay, what did the altar do wrong? How was the altar sinning here? He has to consecrate and cleanse the altar with blood. Why? Clearly, blood is not just about sin. The blood that was being sacrificed in these ceremonies was about a covering. A covering. Not having something that would prevent the fire of God from consuming it in total. Okay, so there's something about blood that is a covering, and it, it, it isn't just about sin. We have to understand that there is no route to salvation through living a perfect life. Even if you never sinned, even if you did everything the law stated, you could not receive salvation because we need something more. What Adam and Eve lost in the garden wasn't just their ability to not sin. It was a covering so that they could be in the presence of God. And we see an example of this here in the fact that he is having to put blood on an altar. An altar can't sin. This is an inanimate object, and yet it needs to receive a covering to be protected. Verse 20, when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, 
and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness. In the case, in the care of someone appointed for the task, the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Okay, stop here. So do you see the picture of Yeshua here? You know, the Bible tells us that Yeshua became sin for us. This goat literally became the sin. And I, I think that it goes to Azazel or some, I think that's the word that's actually used in Hebrew. And it really means like this goat literally carried the sin. It was sin. And it was sin on behalf of the people going out into the wilderness. Yeshua became our sin so that he could take on the punishment and he could become the covering. He is the one that fills all of these examples full of meaning, right? Verse 23, then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. I don't know how many times they have to say it, but they're going to say it three times here. It's to be a lasting ordinance. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. Amen and amen. Oh my gosh, this whole scripture just gives me goosebumps because of how much meaning is in it. This is so incredible. Number one, this is a lasting ordinance. This is forever. How do we know that this is the day of atonement? Well, we'll get into that, but we know that um, on the first day of the seventh month, we just celebrated it, was Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. It's um, the trumpet call, right? And the trumpets will sound when Yeshua returns. It's prophetic. It's for the day that he will return. There will be a giant, loud trumpet sounding in the heavens, and Yeshua will return. Well, then 10 days later is Judgment Day, the Day of Atonement. All of these things the high priest did on the Day of Atonement. Okay, the 10th day of the seventh month, 10 days after the day of shouting, the Yom Teruah, the trumpets. Okay, it says, do not do any work. It says, deny yourself multiple times, which means you have got to try to do something that puts yourself low and lowly. You need to be in repentance mode before this day and on this day. Because on this day, what does it say? Atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Oof. Before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. 
the one Yeshua made atonement for us to cleanse us. Listen to this too. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. That is Yeshua. Amen. And he puts on the sacred linen garments and makes atonement for the most holy place. The tent of meeting in the altar for the priests and all the members of the community. But that most holy place, think about this. We are told that we are now the temple. Right With the new covenant, the laws of God didn't change, but the location of the laws of God changed. The high priest status didn't change, but who is the high priest changed? Who are the high priests, right? We are supposed to be a nation of priests, a set-apart people. That's what God calls us when we come into his family. We become high priests. We become the temple, our most holy place, that Ark of the Covenant, that's our hearts. And in Jeremiah 31, we are told that God will write his law on our hearts. His law goes straight into the Ark of the Covenant, just as it was in the Old Testament. And then what does Yeshua do? He comes to cleanse that space, to make it holy. Do you, listen, if only, if all you do is read the New Testament, look at what you miss Look at what you don't understand. Look at, look at what you are not getting. This whole setup is old. It was, it's not 2,000 years old. Guys, this is 6,000 years old. This is old. And it was set up this way from the very beginning. Everything was a shadow of the heavenly things. We're going to talk about this some more, but I'm going to bring you more scripture. Let's, let's get to it, okay? Exodus 30, verse 10. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year, he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. There again, we see the day of atonement mentioned and what Aaron's going to do on that day, what our high priest did for us so that we memorialize this day differently, right? Because we have the blood of the lamb on the Ark of the Covenant in our heart. We have it covering us. Now, once and for all, because he's a living sacrifice, he's constantly that sacrifice before the Lord. He is the day of atonement at all times. So we don't have to do that sacrifice anymore. That one, that one, Yeshua has done, but we still memorialize the day. Why? Because we have prophetic, a prophetic day coming where we need to understand what he's going to do on the future day of atonement. This is, this is a lasting ordinance. Can I say it again? Throughout your generations and all your locations, this is what the word of God says. Leviticus 23 brings this holiday up again. Also the 10th day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath, end quote. 
there's really good, very descriptive features given here in the Leviticus 23 description of the Day of Atonement. Some things to note is from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. It's a Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is from evening to evening. This should not be any surprise to those of you who've read the creation account. We know that in the creation account, we're told that God designates days from evening to morning the first day, from evening to morning the second day, right? In God's calendar, days start at sundown. This makes a lot of sense if you're a people of an ancient culture and you don't have a clock to know when midnight is. Okay, so God made it really easy for us to observe the 24-hour day. It's from sundown to sundown. And so from evening till evening is how we celebrate all all the days, all the Sabbath days, all of the feast days. We understand that they start the evening before our Greek calendar tells us, but the day before the day of. Okay, so that's why Yom Kippur starts on the 25th and goes through to the evening of the 26th, because that's how the Bible tells us to observe these days. Isaiah 53, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors, end quote. Well, this Isaiah 53, if you ever want to, um, you know, <laughs> please do this kindly, but if you're ever in a conversation with a Jewish person about the Messiah, Isaiah 53 is an incredible place to go. They often skip over reading this in their Torah portions because Isaiah 53 is so prophetic about who Yeshua is and who he would be, that he would bear our iniquities just like the scapegoat, right? That he would bear the sin of many, and then that he would make intercession for us, that he would be the high priest to go into the heavenly holy of holies and to show his blood and to put his blood on our altar, on our hearts, to go into the places, by the way, no one else is allowed to go. Just like the high priest alone could enter the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, Yeshua alone goes in to do this intercessory work for you. What a beautiful picture. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For he made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, another reference that Yeshua became sin on our behalf. And we have good reference for what this means when we have studied the temple system like we just did in Leviticus and Exodus. Okay, Hebrews 9, 12 through 14 says this, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Oh, I'm just, I'm so inspired. Um, by by how connected the word of God is. Amen. I mean, c can you see how from Genesis to Revelation, there is no disunity 
There's no division. There's no confusion. From the very beginning to the very end, God has said the same things time and time and time again. So we understand that this this offering of the blood of goats and calves, this was a material offering, right? This was for flesh. This was a flesh offering. But Christ could be that offering, could do the thing that no person through their flesh could possibly do. And he did it through the spirit, right? He does it through our spirit so that our souls can be offered without spot so that we can be covered and be in the presence of God without him consuming us and cleanse our conscience, right? To clear us from dead works. Everything done in the flesh without the spirit of God is just dead. And this is the this is such hard news, right? I do believe that God judges people righteously, that if you're a really good person on earth, but maybe you didn't accept him as Messiah, um, you're going to have maybe a different punishment, eternal punishment than maybe, you know, someone like Hitler. I see evidence for that sort of judgment. I see that we get judged on our works. But um, if you've done all these good works and it's not been through the spirit of God, the spirit of the living God, that still cannot bring you salvation. Those works are still just flesh. And your motivation was what exactly? To be a good person? Is that enough? Well, the Bible tells us, no, there's still dead works. You need to have the covering of Yeshua. You need the spirit of God to bring those works to life and to bring those works into alignment with life. Psalm 103 verse 12 says this, as far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Talk about prophetic David, right? David giving prophecy here that there would be one who would come who would be the scapegoat and he would cast our sins away. They would be lost. They would be removed from from us, from our community, right? They'd be removed. Colossians 2.14 says this, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Okay, so this wiping out, that handwriting of requirements. A lot of people say that this is the law, but that's not what the verse says. It says the handwriting of requirements. What's the handwriting of requirements? This is the um, sin and death, right? If sin has entered, if you do not have the covering the requirement is that you experience death. Okay. These are the curses that happen because of our lack of alignment with God and who he is because we're not one with him. That's the handwriting of requirements that was against us. It was accusing us. It was saying what is required of you is death, right? But he, Yeshua, wiped those out. He took it out of the way. He nailed sin and death to the cross. In Numbers 5.23, it says, The priest shall then write these curses on a scroll, and he shall wash them off into the water of bitterness. Isaiah 43.25 says this, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Right? This all has to do with what Christ really did on the cross, what he took away, what was thrown as far as the east is from the west, our sins. And he has wiped away the curses and what was attached to the death that we were living in. 
okay? So great question to ask would be, so if you're looking at Yom Kippur and this day of atonement that is constantly being discussed here, did the New Testament writers, did the people we see in the New Testament observe Yom Kippur? Did they do this fasting? Did they do what I'm discussing? Well, yes, we do have evidence they did. In Acts 27 verse 9, it says, Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them. And, you know, Paul's going to go into, um, you know, a discussion about um Actually, I can't remember exactly where he was here, but what I do know about this chapter is that they were looking at traveling and they were looking at sailing, okay? Now, on the Mediterranean Sea, in this particular time of the year when Yom Kippur would be taking place, it would be fall. After fall, like after this this feast day, the waters there get really choppy and really dangerous. And so... They, you know, there was an advisement, don't travel, don't try to cross these waters at this time of year. It's a really bad time of year to do that. Well, we see that evidence right here. So they get done with the fast, which would be Yom Kippur, and it's dangerous to travel. It's dangerous to sail these waters, okay? Right there in Acts, we see Paul and the disciples and apostles, they observed Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Guys, Come on now. It's right there in your own Bible. Open your Bible and read it. You're going to see it. Isaiah 58, 3 through 6 says this. Okay, this is a kind of a conversation, I think, between people and God. It says, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Fasting and affliction, what day are we talking about? talking about Yom Kippur. We're talking about the Day of Atonement, right? They they fasted, they afflicted, right? They're saying, why haven't you seen? Why, why do you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. So this is kind of, I think, a response. In fact, that in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? And so there's... um. There's a good acknowledgement here that as we head towards this day of atonement, as we head towards this this day of maybe fasting and affliction, we're not supposed to go into this with with sin. We're not supposed to be treating the day in a sinful way. You know, it, they're number one, they're breaking the the Sabbath aspect of it, right? Because they're exploiting laborers. They're they're in strife and debate. They're in wickedness right? And God's like, what do you think this is about? What do you think this day is? It isn't for you to go about to continue in your sin. And it isn't for you to go about so sad, you know, just, just a, just a horrible, um, downer, right? This day, this was the day that I atoned for you. This is when I break chains This is when I undo heavy burdens. This is when I let the oppressed go free. 
This is when every yoke is broken. When Yeshua goes in and puts his blood covering the Ark of the Covenant, covering your soul, covering you, that is for your freedom. It's for your benefit. It's for your blessing. What an incredible, incredible day. And because of this, because it's supposed to be a day when we are supposed to be lifting, thinking about lifting burdens and letting others go free, I'll make a good suggestion to you. This time of year, we often put together gift bags for the poor. And it's something I do with my kids throughout the year. You know, from our car, we hand out those bags to the poor. We make those on Yom Kippur um, because we want, and we, we always put a little message about the Lord and his love for those people and pray over those bags. We want to be thinking about how God is setting the captives free, lifting up the oppressed. But there are other ways that you can observe that or think through that um, make that a part of how you observe the day. So, you know, you pray to the Lord, ask the Lord how he would want you to do that. But that's just something we do as a part of our day. Um, I keep the kids home from school. We do, we, we, this is a Sabbath. This is a religious holiday. This is a biblical holiday, guys. Um, so we have this concept that people bring up, which is the 10 days of awe. The days of awe are the 10 days from Yom Teruah, the blowing of the trumpets, the warning call. Yeshua is coming and he's going to judge. Then you have 10 days to get to Yom Kippur, the actual day of judgment and the day of atonement. Okay. Now, there is going to be judgment on this day in the future. Matthew 25 discusses this. Hopefully, we'll get into a little bit of that. I've been going longer. I'm going to probably go as long as I've ever gone on this one. <laughs> I told you there's a lot of content here, but we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the prophetic around this. Um, but if you go read the end of Matthew 25, you're going to see the sheep and the goats judgment. That is the a day of atonement. Okay. This judgment day. All right. Um, but uh, there are the, these 10 days, people call them the days of awe. And this time period is a time period to reflect on your sin, to look at where you're out of alignment and get yourself right with God. So we're in the midst of those days. These are days to be going to the Lord in repentance for your sin, saying, I recognize that you are the king, that you are the one who will sit on the throne and judge. I've been out of alignment spirit. Reveal to me where I've been off. Help me, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm I'm ready to change. Uh, I'm. I always try to tell you what you're supposed to do during this time, these time periods, and so what you are to do: repent, turn from your sin, choose the King. All right. Now, Exodus. We have the story of the Exodus in Exodus. This is a picture, I believe, over and over and over again of these prophetic end times. Think about this. Many people who experienced the plagues repented and left with the Hebrew slaves. How many plagues were there? There were 10 plagues. And through those plagues, a lot of Egyptians and a lot of other people groups who were there enslaved or working saw the hand of God, recognized that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is God, and they left Egypt with the Hebrews. There was a mixed multitude, the Bible tells us, that went out to Mount Sinai to receive the covenant. These mixed multitude, the Egyptians and the, the Nigerians and the other people groups, I'm, I'm not sure it was Nigerians, but there were other people groups from Africa that came out with the Hebrews 
And they were given the same covenant at Mount Sinai as the Hebrew people were. So those 10 plagues were an opportunity for repentance and an opportunity to prepare to meet God. Okay? This is a time period, an opportunity for us to prepare what I would call our wedding garments. Okay, if we're going to be the bride, just like Aaron had to cleanse himself, make sure his garments were clean before he went into the Holy of Holies, we have wedding garments that we are going to be preparing for the coming of the groom, the coming of the Messiah. All right, but the 10 plagues, we have 10 plagues, we have 10 days in the days of awe. We also have 10 commandments. Now I think about this. You could spend during these 10 days, you could spend, if you spent your time on each day looking at each one of the 10 commandments and saying, have I aligned myself with this properly? Do I love God with all my heart? Do I have idols? Have I dragged God's name through the mud? Have I taken his name in vain? Have I kept the Sabbath? Have I honored my parents? Have I been murderous in my heart? Have I committed adultery against God or against somebody else, right? Have I stolen, right? If you spent every day just analyzing one of those Ten Commandments, you, the, I, I, I bet you the Holy Spirit would reveal to you exactly where you're out of alignment and would give you that opportunity, you would have that opportunity for repentance and change. I would encourage you to begin that process, actually. Let's go to Joel 2, um, starting in verse 15. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Well, so what we have here, we've got Yom uh, Teruah, we've got the shout of the trumpet, the trumpet comes in Zion, and then a holy fast happens, which is Yom Kippur. And then we have a sacred assembly, which is another upcoming holiday we'll be going up, um, we'll be discussing. Um, verse 16, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Why? Why? Why is the bridegroom leaving his space in heaven? Why is the bride going to be um, leaving? right? Meeting him. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Okay, so listen, this, this is just a picture of all of the fall feast days. This is prophetic. Yeshua will return with a trumpet blast, and then he's going to judge so you spend 10 days from the trumpet blast to the judgment day, repenting, weeping. Lord, spare your people. Lord, be merciful with us. God, remember your covenant to us. And in, in this time, the bride and the bridegroom are preparing, right? They are, they are, there's a shift that's taking place here. Really interesting, okay? First Thessalonians 5 says this, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. I wanted to go to this verse just to remind you that if you were in the Lord, this day of atonement and the day of judgment, we're not appointed to be judged that day. Okay, we're not, we're not appointed to be cast out from the Lord that day, right? We are in the light. We are part of what he is doing. We're going to be joined to him. This is the good news for those who are in Yeshua, Messiah. Um, let's see here. I wanted to just quickly discuss Matthew 25. We've discussed this in the past. The sheep and the goats judgment takes place. This judgment is a day of atonement judgment. It's often called the Bema Seat judgment. At the end of Matthew 25, what's described is that God separates the people's, the nations into sheep and goats, the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And then there's a third group of people that gets mentioned, which is called the least of these brothers, his brothers, right? His family. He says this really interesting thing to the sheep. He says, you know, come, come enter my kingdom. You who helped me in all these ways, you fed me, you clothed me, you gave me water when I was thirsty. And their response to him is, I don't remember doing this. When did I do this? You know, when did this happen? And he said, anytime that you helped even the least of these, my brothers, you helped me. So those who were in Yeshua. So there's this group of people that I, I believe not only maybe they're the people that help God's people through the end times and um, do not worship the beast, right? That they get a particular place in God's kingdom. But I also think this is a group of people that likely saw the trumpet, saw the Lord return, recognized he is God and decided to repent in those days of awe. Took those 10 days and said, you know what? I better get right. I better make a shift. I better be ready because that day of atonement judgment, you know, they're they're found worthy to come into the kingdom. Not And not based on something they really understand. They don't really fully understand why he's welcoming them, and why he says that they were helpful. And I think that um, you have to really read this prophecy for what it actually says. I think a lot of people gloss over this prophecy and um, and also think that this is the final judgment. This is not the description of the great white throne judgment, which I also believe is a day of atonement day. That is going to be a thousand years after Christ first starts reigning on the earth. The Bible's very clear about a thousand year reign of Yeshua. And, you know, we could do a podcast on that. We could really take that one to task and and I could show you, but that's been well understood for, for generations and generations and generations and generations. There's always been an understanding that there would be a thousand year reign of king and priest, Yeshua HaMashiach, on the throne in, on the earth. All right. So, and at the end of that, there is the judgment of souls. Now, if you were resurrected at this first judgment, Matthew 25, then you are one with the Lord. Then you do not experience the great white throne judgment. But for all those who were alive on the earth for the thousand year reign of Christ, and for all those who did not get resurrected at the first coming, you know, at the Bema seat judgment, did not get resurrected when Yeshua returned, their soul receives 
a final, the, their final location judgment. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. I do believe that's also a day of atonement. Um, listen, there's so much more we could go into here. I'm, I think I'm going to leave it, um, you know, just because I, I know a lot of people that do two and three hour podcasts or two and three hour YouTube casts. I never have been able to effectively pull that off, but I also think we can get so, there can be so much information given and trying to go back through a two or three hour podcast is like torture. It is so hard to go back and find the information you need. And then you have to listen to it again and again and again. So I tend to break these things up into smaller chunks and pieces, but there are so many more verses about this day. Let me encourage you once again, what are we supposed to do right now? We're supposed to be in a time of reflection and repentance. Consider where are you out of alignment with God's ways? What has he called you to do that you've been disobedient to? What about the sacrifice that God made for you? Isn't he amazing, right? And considering that sacrifice, the atonement he made on your behalf, the covering that he put over you, what he put onto your heart so that you could be in his presence, be united to him, be the bride, that you could clean your garments, that your works will no longer be dead and of the flesh, but that they would be of life and of the spirit. Think about all of these things. And then on the day of, ato- of atonement, on Yom Kippur, don't work, rest, but also make yourself lowly. Again, I do fast. We fast and we, um, you know, create some things for the poor in our community and we pray and we consider the work of, of Yeshua in our lives. And so, um, the simple, it's, it's not rocket science. You, you definitely, I've said this before, I've gone over this before. You're not supposed to recreate the day somehow. That's not how these holidays work. Number one, you're forbidden to sacrifice a goat or a bull or something like that without a Levitical priesthood outside of the land of Israel without a temple. You're not supposed to do that. It's actually illegal according to God's laws. So there are no blood sacrifices, number one, because it's legal to do it outside of Jerusalem without a priesthood. But number two, because in this case, Yeshua is our day of atonement sacrifice. He is he is the two goats. He is what is put onto the altar, right? He became, and he goes before the Lord. And I believe on this day, he goes in the heavenly places. He goes before the Lord on our behalf and intercesses for us. I want to be present, right? I want to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing on that intercessory session, and so we observe this, we memorialize it the way that the Bible tells us to, which is to afflict ourselves and to do no work. And so um, that's what I'm encouraging you to do right now, leading up to the day, and then consider fasting for part of the day and consider, you know, you're not going to be watching TV. You're not supposed to be like serving yourself that day. This is not a day, this is not like a me time kind of a day. This is all focus on God and what he has done for us. I hope that makes sense to you. And I hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you have questions, concerns, or prayer requests, please reach out to me. I would be happy to pray for you. I would be happy to discuss with you anything that I've shared in this podcast. Um, Many blessings to you during these fall feast days. Till next time.